If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can call this number 24-7. Keep in mind, 888-6-ADVICE. And you can always email those questions to yourmoneyandwealthenhancement.com. But right now, we urge you to call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Denny. Good morning, Bruce. Thank you, Danny Long. Hi, Peg. Good to be with you both. Um, so, Danny, uh, Peg and I today, and, and listeners, um, on the show, we have frequently talked about required minimum distributions, and we've talked about this strategy of doing charitable giving using a required minimum distribution. But I think there's still a lot of confusion, Peg, and, and, the, and the law has actually changed several times in a short number of years. You know, oftentimes we go decades with no tax law changes. Then we went through a little series of changes and people are like, is required minimum distribution at 70 and a half? Oh, it moved to 72. Oh, it moved to 73. And, and, and what is this uh, QCD or this qualified distribution that you guys talk about? So today we thought we would talk for, uh, for our listeners uh, about all of that, try to give clarity about what this is, what's the age, how it works, what can you do, what can't you do. So, Peg, we're really talking about charitable rollovers, specifically these QCDs or uh, qualified charitable distributions. Yeah, I think, Bruce, good morning. Uh, I think it actually is a good idea to talk specifically about these qualified charitable um, distributions because a lot of times it's been a subset of a different show. And with clients coming in for their reviews right now, there is a lot of confusion. So uh, I like that our marketing team said, you know, maybe we should spend a little bit more time on these uh, qualified charitable distributions. So what happens is, is they constantly are changing everything, as Bruce mentioned, and it gets super confusing because if they only had, if, well, in our career, Bruce, if we only had one set of rules, uh, we would have mastered it, right, by now, after decades of doing this job. But it's just constant change. And there's where I love um, utilizing our roundtable at Wealth Enhancement Group, because we can't possibly, as one advisor, know it all. So I love that we're focusing on these IRA distributions and what advantages or uh, possibilities do I have to um, take advantage of some of these new rules or maybe these increases in rules. So what happens is, is when you turn now 73, and I've got many, many clients that are already in the required minimum distribution phase of life. So nothing changes for you. You don't, there, there isn't any changes, meaning if you started taking yours at 70 and a half, you have to continue taking it. Today, we will talk a little bit about some things that you may be able to take advantage of because of the SECURE Act late last year. There was 92 provisions in that SECURE Act that is all, um, it's all tailored to promote more savings for all of us. Uh, the statistics are not good, Bruce, where uh, many, many people have not saved enough uh, for their income for the future. So just generally, 
I think most people listening might know what these QCDs, the Qualified Charitable uh, Distributions, uh, mean. But let's just quickly summarize. If indeed you are of, uh, if you're 70 and a half, you can choose to give directly to charities out of your IRA, uh, provided that you have assistance, right? You need to um, tell your custodian that this is what you want to do. So if you want to give charity directly from your IRA, you can do that. And you can actually do that uh, without itemizing, right? So a lot of us are doing standard deduction these years. And now on the front page of your return, it says, how much IRA distribution did you take? Well, let's say it was $20,000. But 10,000 of it, you decided to directly have the custodian of your IRA send that to a charity. Well, then on the front page of your return, you write the symbol QCD. And then you only move over 10,000 of that on your taxable uh, column on the front page. Well, why is that a big deal? Well, many of us do not itemize anymore. Remember, they took away so many deductions, but they raised the standard deduction. So when I'm talking about itemization, I see very few clients, but you can, you can use your health care costs, you can use um, some long-term care premiums as deductions, you can take some property taxes, but that's limited to 10000 And then if you do have a home mortgage, you could utilize some of that as a, um, itemized, uh, on your itemized column. And then charity. So on this itemized, co- this itemized page, If you're both 65, and we're talking about qualified charitable deductions here today, distributions, and so we're probably talking about 65 plus people, right? So if you're both 65, the actual standard deduction is $30,700. So think about that. You have to have all these itemized deductions to go over that before you're going to actually use um, the itemized method. So many, many of our clients utilize, Bruce, this QCD on the front page of their return by allowing us to send some of that required minimum distribution directly to charity. Bruce? Yeah, I just want to add to that, Peg. That's a great beginning. Um, Part of the, and and you said this, but I want to reemphasize, part of the reason this strategy has become so much uh, more prevalent is what you said is before um, and I don't remember which year it was, but before the tax law change that greatly increased the standard deduction, more people were itemizing. And when you itemized your deductions and you gave to charity, you would include that that charitable gift as part of your itemized deductions. But because the standard deduction is so high now, the vast majority of people are just taking the standard deduction and their typical cash gift to a charity that they've always done they don't get a deduction for it anymore. So a QCD is a way to make that that generosity, that charitable gift that you want to make for all the right reasons. It warms your heart, helps the charity, and so forth. If you can get a tax advantage from it, why would you not? Um, so that's the, the the increase of the standard deduction is what I think really made this uh, so much more prevalent as a strategy. Then the other thing uh, you said, Peg, I wanted you to give clarity on. 
So a lot of people listening are going, well, wait a minute. I thought that I thought the required minimum distribution age now was 73, but Peg just said we could do this at age 70 and a half. Yeah, yeah. So they didn't change the age that we could start giving um, to charity directly out of our IRA, which I love. I just had a client call me. Actually, it was Friday. And the client asked me and said, okay, I want to take $50,000 this year. And I want to give that to a charity. Can you help me figure out the best way to give it? Should I utilize this QCD? Because guess what? He is 70 and six months, which is 70 and a half. So now he knows that he can actually give through his IRA. Or he has a lot of low basis stock in his non-IRA accounts. So he wants me to figure out, is it best to give the 50,000 through his low basis, like give those shares to the charity? Or is it best for me to take 50,000 from his IRA and give to charity? Now, um, I haven't ran the numbers, but I, I mean, I feel like I'm leaning towards giving 100% of it out of the IRA because that's taxed as ordinary income, where with capital gains, Bruce, as you know, uh, if something were to happen to him and it's his, you know, it's in his name, then his wife is like 15 years younger than he is. So if he were to pass away, his stocks then would be stepped up to the value at the date of death. So these are all the things that we have to take into consideration um, to and analyze to do uh, to give him a, a a choice, and I normally don't go back, Bruce. With you've got to do this, I say, okay, here's several ways we could do this. You know, do you favor one or the other? Um, the monetary part or the dollars part isn't always the most important. Um, I you know the client has a say in you know which way do we want to go, Bruce. Um, okay, so that's that's um, that's QCDs, and that's the that's the most uh, prevalent strategy that we're using for charitable giving for seniors to get a, a tax break. I got to be honest, Peg. I'm going to be honest with listeners. The other part of the outline, um, there's something called a qualified longevity annuity contract, or a QLAC. And I texted you during the week, and I said, I don't know what that is. I hope you do. So, so I'm kind of leaning on you. That's the other possible strategy. But i got to be honest, I've, I've never done that. I, I didn't know what it was till a couple days ago. Yeah, and Bruce, it, it, um, a qualified charitable, um, you know, some of these more complex ways of giving – where um, you can actually, okay, so RMD aside, IRAs aside, um, in our career, there are clients that are tremendously charitable, charitable. And you can put, I mean, you could put a million dollars, you know, of an individual stock into a charitable remainder trust or a charitable um, annuity trust. And what happens to that? And I have um, utilized this strategy over my career. But then what happens is you transfer that million dollars of stock. And let's say it's Apple, 
and you bought Apple stock for a dollar and now it's worth a million, um, you can transfer that stock into these uh, trusts and then you can actually have an income created for the rest of your life. So you get distributions on that trust, but then the charity doesn't get that dollar amount or the value that's left in that trust until you die. So that actually is a strategy that we've used. Well, now recently in 2023, um, they're now allowing $50,000 if we want to give it to one of these trusts and we could create an income for ourselves, you know, for our lifetime. And then that 50,000 would go to charity. Now, in this case, uh, I talked about a million dollars and that's where I felt like, oh, well, that's, that's worth it, right? Because there's a lot of cost to setting up these trusts and there's um, administrative people that have to do things. And the IRS, you know, um, is keen to this. So they want to watch. And so from a practical matter, Bruce, I don't know that this is going to be super popular for people to do because it's just such a low dollar amount. I I like their intention um, here to add that as a provision that you could use. But I doubt, Bruce, just like you said, I don't think uh, it's going to be that popular. So, I, again, I'm, I'm saying this partly because I'm learning along with the, our listeners from you, but also I'm, I'm going to talk a little bit about the part of it that I understand and I've used before. So when you answered my question about, again, uh, we've, we've shifted from uh, the QCD, the Qualified Charitable Distribution, to something called Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract, and again, our industry is full of acronyms, a QLAC. As part of your answer, Peg, you were describing charitable remainder trusts, which I am familiar with and I've used before as a planning strategy, and in that situation, you're not using IRA money, you're actually using non-qualified money, so if you've got some asset with considerable gains in it, it might be stocks or mutual funds or it might be real estate and you're going to sell that asset and you're going to have to pay taxes on the gain, the charitable remainder uh, uh, trust is a strategy that we can use to mitigate or defer a lot of those taxes. So a simple example, if I can think of one here and do it in my head, if I have a million dollars in gain and I just sell that asset outright, my long-term state and federal capital gains are probably going to be in the neighborhood of let's say 25% make the math easy. So my, my million dollars, I pay 250 in taxes and I net $750,000 after taxes. And if I wanna convert that to say a 5% income stream per year, that's $3,700 a year in income. But if I can sell that asset and not have to pay taxes on the gain, now I've got the whole million now 5% is $50,000 a year, that's $12,500 a year more, or more than 1000 bucks a month, that's a big deal, that's a lot more income. Well, the charitable remainder trust, the way that works is, you place the highly appreciated asset in the trust, so you don't own it anymore as an individual, the trust owns it. So when the trust sells it, and those proceeds come into the trust, there's no taxes because in the future, you're gonna whatever is left in that trust when you leave this world, you're gonna leave that lump sum to charity. So you get to avoid the taxes on the sale of that highly appreciated asset. So you kind of describe that 
and, and it sounds to me like this qualified longevity annuity contract is a similar principle, but as it applies to IRAs or qualified plans. Does that seem like it's logical, Peg? No. Um, they, they just added a provision where what you just described and I described with the Apple stock, we can actually take 50000 of our IRA and put it into a charitable remainder trust. And yeah, it's the same kind of description that we're talking about. And that's why I thought, well, who's going to do that? 50,000 is the the dollar limitation. And that's, and and that's one time. So if I decided to do 50,000 in 2023, oh, I've used my lifetime option to do that. So it's not like I could do 50,000 every year. Uh, you can do a limit of 50000 So if you wanted to do 10000 I'm just telling listeners that it's very labor-intensive. It's it's hard to track. I mean, it's just probably not going to be utilized. I like uh, the um, idea of it, but I think it's too small in numbers. The other one that we wanted to talk about today, and I know um, we have some time here, but we may not get through it because this is a little complex, the uh, QA. C Q A all these acronyms Q L A C is where you can actually go buy like a, a deferred annuity, and the the reason this one's kind of popular right now, and we'll talk about it, is because it used to exist since 2019. No, I've never used it. You could take 125,000 of your money in your IRA or a cap of 25% of your IRA. So it could have been lower for most people, but you could have put that money into a, a, a fixed annuity. Well, deferred. So if you're 65 and you said, hey, I want an income when I'm 85, I'm going to go buy this annuity and then I'm going to defer that income and create a bigger paycheck for me when I'm 85. And so um, we're familiar, Bruce, with these annuities because you can buy one today if you want it outside your IRA and say, I'm going to put um, 500000 into this annuity, I'm going to defer this, I'm going to, my income is going to be compounding tax deferred, and then at 85 or whenever you choose, you take an income for the rest of your life. There's pros and cons to that, and we can talk about those, but Bruce, that's generally what this provision is. And now that they bumped it up to 200000 and the most popular thing that came out of this is, hey, that 200000 that we have in our IRA is not subject to these required minimum distributions. So that might raise some people's eyebrows and go, wait a minute, this might be for me if, I don't, if I'm not forced to take money out at 73. Bruce? Yeah, and, and uh, we've only got a couple minutes left. We've got to go to break. But so far we've been talking, Peg, of these, all these strategies are applicable once you get to be in your 70s and you've got to take required minimum distributions. One of the things that we talk to our clients about a lot is taking distributions before you get there so that your required minimum distribution is smaller when you get there. Prevailing wisdom, people have been coached for years and years and years, don't take money out of your IRAs 
until you have to because it's it's taxable income and you want to defer that income as long as possible. But for a lot of people, that's actually not true. And that's where we get into the strategies that we talk about a lot on the show of soaking up your tax bracket or doing Roth conversions uh, or whatever. So last thought, Peg, uh, before we go to break, we'll come back from break, get listeners involved and wrap this up. But last thoughts before break. Yeah, I think we should talk more about this deferred annuity because I think it is, once people understand it, it is going to be popular in that there's a lot of security around it and um, predictability, Bruce. Yeah, and and I'm glad you said that, Peg, because a lot of people, they hear the word annuity and it automatically has a negative connotation. There are certain people that think all annuities are bad all the time, and we're going to talk a little bit about why that probably is not true. So, Denny, in the second half, when we get listeners involved, it doesn't have to be on uh, charitable giving. It can be any financial question, but we'll wrap up this discussion and take listeners' questions in the second half. Very good, Bruce. Yes, we make it very easy for you. We hope you can call or text our studio line right now at 651 Four six one nine two two six. But keep in mind, you can always, if you think of something midweek, uh, email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement dot com or call eight 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 six advice. But right now during the show, uh, call us or text us six five one four six one nine two two six. Again, six five one four six one nine two two six. Back with more of your money. If you have a financial question for Peg or Bruce, you can always call this number 24-7, 888-6-ADVICE. You can also email those questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. But right now, you can call or text our studio line at 651-461-9226. Again, right now, we welcome your calls or texts to 651 461 9226. Once again, here's Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group, Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Thank you, Denny Long. Thank you, listeners, for staying with us. Uh, If you joined us late, Peg and I have been talking about uh, IRA charitable rollovers, specifically qualified charitable deductions or distributions. Um, I guess I use those two D words synonymously with one another, Peg. And then a new concept that Peg knows about that I that I didn't, uh, qualified longevity annuity contract. We talked about uh, the popularity of the QCDs as the as the standard deduction was raised by tax tax laws, and less people were itemizing as people hit the age where you have to take required minimum distributions out of your qualified plan, your IR traditional IRA or traditional retirement plan. This is a way of of being philanthropic, of being generous, of doing your charitable giving and still getting a tax break, even if you uh, take the standard deduction. So we talked a lot about that, Peg, but you you wanted to dig a little deeper before we went to break. We talked about going a little bit deeper into this concept of a a longevity annuity contract. Peg? Yeah, I, I wanted just to highlight a couple more things because I think there is going to be increased interest in learning about it because of the amount that you can put in raised from 125 to 200. So this had been out in the marketplace. The insurance companies uh, quoted that there, it wasn't that exciting because it was 125,000 of your IRA that you could uh, transfer, you know, to this annuity. 
and it was 20, you couldn't go more than 25% of your total um, IRAs. Well, now that it had increased to 200,000 and the, the big um, aha moment here is that that 200 will not be calculated in your required minimum distribution. So you're not mandated to take out um, those required uh, distributions on that 200. And if you're married, that's 200,000 a piece. So you each can do 200,000. Well, one of the things you can do then is you can take that 200,000 and you can uh, design with an insurance company because it's an annuity and they're issued by insurance companies. You can design a method of having income for life. So instead of waiting till you're 73 when you have required minimum distribution, you could be 60 years old right now, 65 years old, and say, you know what? I think I'm interested in that. I want to put 200000 of my IRAs in this contract, and I don't want to take an income out now. I actually want to build this bucket for an income down the road for the rest of my life. And they utilize the age of 85 a lot in the examples here because then you may have 20, 25 years to compound this annuity that's then going to turn into an income stream for the rest of your life. And so people are looking at this as maybe not your early on bucket that you live on, but let's say you, you outlive what you think you're going to live, right? And you, and you want some more payments down the road. There's a lot of talk in there too. Women still live longer um, statistically than men that um, then that annuity could go to your spouse. If you have this payment started and, or, or you haven't started it and it goes to your spouse, then that might help with some income down the road. So it may be popular just because um, in some cases people are comfortable with an annuity with an insurance company and, and that might be um, something that has you know security in your mind versus being in another investment with your IRA. And then, um, you know, that income for the spouse uh, may be a lure to do it as well. So just a lot of education coming around that. And once again, Bruce, it's just popular because now it raised to 200 and they took away that rule of just 25% of your IRA. So um, more people seem to be asking questions about it. Bruce? Yeah, so that, that is huge, and I think, um, again, I was just late to the party at understanding this concept. I think you're right. I think it's going to become very popular because of the, you know, you're right, the dollar amounts, 200000 per person, you know, that's not chopped liver. That's a significant amount of money. Peg, also I wanted to comment really quickly. Again, I, I mentioned before we went to break that with a lot of listeners right now, new, the word annuity has a negative connotation. And there's a lot of reasons why that might be. It might be the expenses. It might be the lack of liquidity. But I think one of the reasons is people perceive an annuity as something where I get my money, but if I die early, that insurance company keeps all the money and my family, you know, gets ripped off. And I want to be, I'm glad you said that it can also be set up for a spouse. An annuity, by definition, annuity just means planned periodic payments. It's not unlike a pension. And when you take your pension, those people that are listening that have had a pension know, you can take a, the full benefit for yourself, and that's the biggest payout. But if you predecease your spouse, then your spouse gets nothing. So most people take a smaller dollar amount to protect their spouse 
So if they die first, the spouse continues to receive payments. You can do the same thing in an annuity. This idea that if I get an annuity and I die, nobody gets any money, that's not true, not if you set it up correctly. So I think one of the reasons a lot of people have this negative connotation when they hear the word is just a misunderstanding of how you can use it. Um, Peg, Denny tells me there's a lot of text, and maybe someone wants to actually call in and be a star on the radio today. We'd certainly take any and all questions. But, Peg, before we go to listeners, any last words or key takeaways for listeners on this topic? No, I think there's going to be more to come, Bruce. And just in our industry, I would say that um, we're not totally prepared yet. We've got the insurance companies that are trying to, um, you know, figure out how to do illustrations for clients, uh, give the pros and cons. Uh, It's still fairly new. And um, once again, exciting because people want to avoid having to take out money of their IRA at 73 um, now. So. All right, Denny, let's go to listeners, buddy. Yes, indeed. And uh, as Bruce said, we'd love to hear your voice. If you want to call in your financial question uh, or text, either one, 651-461-9226. Bruce and Peg, a couple of uh, texts about uh, QCD topics. Uh, Here's the first. I cannot give a QCD to my donor-advised charitable fund. Do you think this rule will change? What a great question, Peg. So first got to tell everyone... Um, what a donor-advised fund is, and then uh, uh, why you can't uh, uh, take a QCD and deposit it in your donor-advised fund. Yeah, donor-advised fund. I I absolutely love donor-advised fund because what you can do is you can take any amount of money. You could take individual stocks, individual bonds, and uh, transfer those over to a donor-advised fund but the beauty of a donor advised fund, once you give the money there, it is, it is, you've given the money away, right? But the entity holds the money, um, custodians like Schwab, Fidelity, many uh, custodians out there hold these funds. And then you can choose to invest those funds. Um, you can choose to, in some cases, uh, hold on to the stock, but that you'd have to have, you know, you might have to set up a foundation for that. So most of these donor advised funds um, would, if you transferred in some Apple stock and they would sell that Apple stock, and then you would have a managed portfolio or um, stocks and bonds in there. The beauty is you don't have to give the money out of that donor advised fund today. It's not like giving it a direct um, charity, a gift to to, um, charities. You can actually uh, create a lifetime of gifting by putting money in at one point in time. So um, one of the strategies that I use in my practice and wealth enhancement uses is we look at the years, let's say you're 65 years old and your required minimum distribution isn't until 73, but you're uh, philanthropic and you want to give every year. It might make sense you know, to give eight years worth of your gifting and put it in a donor advised fund all in one year, because maybe you had a big tax year where you sold Apple stock, or you got a big bonus through your work or something like that. It tax wise, um, strategic wise, we could use uh, putting money into a charity and um, getting a good deduction for that in a particular year. So one of the things I like about a donor advised fund is much more flexible. We can um, 
put in as much as we want. Now, here's the answer to the question. They just went through this with the secure, the new secure act late last year and said, absolutely not. You cannot take your IRA money as a QCD and move it over to your donor advised fund. And I think the thinking there is you're not giving an immediate gift. So they don't necessarily want all this money from these IRAs to go into these donor advised funds because literally you could have it sitting in the donor advised fund and never give the money out. And that wasn't the the kind of the motivation behind being able to give the money to charities immediately. Bruce? Yeah, so these are really two separate independent strategies. They're both effective strategies in the right situation. I think of the donor advised fund as being a strategy for somebody younger that's not yet reached the age of required minimum distributions and the QCD, of course, for people that are in that uh, required minimum distribution situation. So I, I understand the, the question and, and why the texter asked it, but yeah, two, two independent separate strategies, both effective. Uh, but they can't really be commingled, and I would say they're probably for different ages or different uh, places in life. Uh, Denny, uh, listeners, more yes. questions? Yes, indeed. Let's go to the phones. I believe Brian is on the line. Uh, Brian, you're on your uh, money. Hello. Good morning. Um, I have a question. I was recently reading an article in the Wall Street Journal about returns on commodity indexes and how those commodities can be used in a portfolio to increase returns and decrease risk. Uh, the article was just published yesterday, actually, and it specifically addresses the use of DBC Commodity Index as well as another ETF, GSG. And I was curious if you could comment on your philosophy in using commodities as a way to uh, increase the return of a portfolio. The article actually is critical of that approach and demonstrates that commodities the last 16 years at least using the index ETF, has not increased returns that dramatically. Thank you. Hey, Brian, thanks, uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for a, a great question. So, PEG, commodities, and maybe we should tell listeners that don't know what the word commodities means, what's in commodities, and as part of a diversified portfolio. Do we use it? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Uh, commodities. PEG? Yeah, so in general, um, we categorize commodities and other non-correlated investments, non-correlated to the stock market or non-correlated to the fixed income market as alternative investments. So Wealth Enhancement Group, if you're a client listening, you probably have heard this before, uh, it, it actually is one of our options to build out a portfolio. And commodities happens to be in um, some, of the, some of the investments that we make in this alternative space. And so our belief, and, and it's proven over time, is that if you've got distribution clients, people who are going to take income out for the rest of their lives of these portfolios, and by the way, we create paychecks for many, many, many people for the rest of your lives. And, and actually, I've got goosebumps right now because the responsibility of telling people, oh, yes, I can create a paycheck for the rest of your life. Don't you worry. You know, we've got this, these investments um, and we do all these calculations with a financial plan. 
Um, but why I have goosebumps is because that's a lot of weight on our shoulders, but I feel like our firm does a really good job because this alternative investments that I didn't see the article in the Wall Street Journal, but it helps buffer times when the stock market isn't performing or bonds aren't performing well the last decade, right? We weren't making any money on our money in a lot of the fixed income areas. And, um, you know, commodities like oil, um, you know, because we had oil contracts in this portfolio, we actually did quite well over the last couple of years of these alternative investments when uh, the stock market and the bond market last year was terrible, right? Was, they were both negative. So in this case, um, it worked out. But uh, so oil might be in there, other commodities like gold and silver and, you know, things that are deemed as non-correlated to the stocks or bonds. Bruce? Yeah, it, Brian asked a really good question. And, and he said something like, and I haven't seen the article that he referenced either, but he said, you know, over the last, I think he said 16 years, it wouldn't have made sense. But commodities is such a broad category. I mean, in terms of within commodities, Peg already mentioned precious metals like gold and silver, oil. It could also include things like uh, grain and, 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 and crops and, and, and uh, beef and pork and, you know, the cattle industry. So if you said, well, it didn't do well over the last 16 years, I would say probably certain parts of the commodities asset class haven't done well. But others like oil, you'd say, well, it has done well. And, and, you know, Peg, as soon as Brian asked the question and said commodities, I got to be honest, oil is the first thing I thought of. And I think that's the predominant um, uh, investment that we have in commodities in our portfolios that have commodities. But and, and maybe you said this, but just to give clarity, not every portfolio at Wealth Enhancement Group has exposure to commodities. Some do, some don't. And the portfolios where we have it, and we recommend it to a client, there's reasons why we have that in there, like you said, to non be non-correlated and add diversity to a portfolio that might be appropriate for certain clients. I always get a little nervous when anybody says something is always good or always bad, I, I don't think anything, commodity stocks, bonds, uh, anything, real estate is always good or always bad. Um, it, it, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. Um, but I, I hate to just you know throw it out because somebody read an article and said over the last 16 years, commodities didn't do well. Um, it's still an asset class that we need to take note of and use it when we think it's appropriate. But Brian, thanks for listening. And it was a really good, really fair question. Uh, maybe I'd have a better answer if I actually saw the article that he referenced. Denny? Yes, we have more. And uh, here's another uh, one. Uh, Bruce had mentioned the acronyms used in the financial industry. Here's one that says, this maybe is a hat trick. Uh, can you use a QCD if you have an RMD from an inherited IRA if you are not 70 and a half yet, since that RMD is not age-based in that circumstance. Okay, so, Denny, what the texter's asking, and Peg, I hope you know the answer because I'm not sure I do, but let me set up the question for you. So what the, what the, what the question, uh, what the texter's asking, Denny, is let's say I inherit an IRA from my mother, and I'm not – 70 and a half or 73 yet, 
But she was when she passed away and left me this IRA. So she was in required minimum distributions. I think the texture is saying as as the benefit as the beneficiary of that IRA, I know I have to take out the RMDs that my mom was taking out before she died, but can I use the QCD peg even though I'm not yet in my 70s? Well, everything that I know, you have to be 70 and a half to be able to utilize um, a QCD. The other thing, though, that came to mind while you were uh, framing the question is if you inherit an IRA, um, I feel like you can disclaim it, you know, before you would take it. So that may not be deemed a QCD, but um, in most cases, when someone dies and you can and you're going to inherit something, I think you can um, automatically then send give it to a charity at that time. So I don't think you can do anything under 70 and a half. I do believe that you can do a QCD with an inherited IRA, given that you are of age, Bruce. Yeah, I I think that's the right answer. That's what I would have said if I was alone and didn't have you to help me. So we're in agreement on that. I I think that's the right answer also. Denny, can we sneak one more in quickly? I know we've got less than two minutes. I think this is maybe a good one that would uh, fit in. And I know you over the years have addressed this issue, but it's a basic question for uh, some of our civilians. Are the advisors at Wealth Enhancement fiduciaries? (sighs) Oh. I'm glad they asked. So we are, um, and uh, Peg, I'll, I'll take it and I'll kind of wrap up uh, and, uh, okay. really quickly. We are, we are fiduciaries. We always have been since the inception of the firm. I like to tell people somewhat facetiously but accurately, we were a fiduciary before it was cool to be a fiduciary. It's become a buzzword in recent years, but we've always been one. And for, for listeners that don't know, there's two standards in the industry. There's the suitability standard and there's a fiduciary standard. When you're a fiduciary, you work for your client. You don't work for Wall Street. You don't work for the financial company. You work for the client. You must always give them your best possible advice. That's what we've always done. That's what we'll always do. All right. Well, I think that about wraps it up. Any final thoughts from anybody? Or we'll just do the invitation to come back again next week. Bruce and Peg, thank thank you both again. Uh, and again, too, if you have a, a financial question you think is something midweek, 888-6ADVICE. You can use that number 24-7, 888-6ADVICE. You can always send an email to your money at wealthenhancement.com. Again, the email goes to your money at wealthenhancement.com. We do hope you can join us again next week with another edition of Your Money. <laughs> 